What's up, church? Hey, let's give the Lord a hand. Amen. Well, uh, today we are in week eight of our series in Colossians, and uh, I would say that today may be the most practical. Uh, there's four simple verses we're going to look at uh, today, and uh, if you uh, are uh, married or you're a parent, it's very applicable to you. If you're here and you're like, well, I'm not married anymore, and I'm not even a parent, well, I promise you, if you'll hang in there, there's something for you too. And so um, my prayer is, is that we would listen intently <clears throat> Not only to the word, but uh, as James 1.22 says, that we wouldn't what simply be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word, so that we would put everything we hear into practice. And so uh, let's pray, and uh, let's ask God to honor this time that we have together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. And uh, Father, I thank you, Lord, for uh, four verses that challenge me as a man to the core. And uh, Father, my prayer is, is that it wouldn't simply challenge me, but it would challenge everyone in here. And Father, I pray that any offense I have with this text, any offense that I have with the Word of God would be taken up with you, and that your Spirit would convict and chasten and rebuke and discipline me so that I am prepared to be the person, the man that you've called me to be. Father, I pray the same for our church. I pray, God, that you would speak intently into our lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> well, you have your Bibles. We're in Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> we have uh, gone verse by verse all the way through uh, this book. It's an incredibly awesome book. It's been a very challenging book. We've talked about uh, a lot of different things, some things in here that many of us have never heard or understood. And so we've talked about uh, philosophy. We've talked about asceticism and legalism. And if you're here, you're like, I have no idea what that's even about. And that's okay. You can go back and listen. All of our sermons are online. But today, this is a pretty clear text. It's a pretty easy text to read. It's a very difficult text to swallow, okay? And so, like, you're here today, we're going to read this, and, and we're not going to, like, skip around, I'm going to beat around it, like, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address it head on. And, and there's going to be some of you in here that you're going to be challenged by these words, but the, the good thing is this, is I didn't write them. I didn't write them. And, like, th there was never a point where Paul, uh, or even God, and that, for that matter, asked me what I thought about this particular text, even as I'm addressing it and thinking about it, I'm like, oh, how am I going to phrase this? How am I going to word it where all the ladies in this church don't get up and leave? The thing that God just spoke to me and resonated with me, this, Brandon, it's not on you. It's not about you. You preach the text and it just settles where it is. And so like, I don't want anybody coming up to me and go, preacher, man, you really stepped on my toes. You really stepped on my toes today. No, I didn't. You need to differentiate the difference between a man's words and the Bible. And what the Spirit is speaking on your behalf. And every time you're offended by the gospel, instead of looking at the man who spoke the words, maybe you should look to God and the conviction that he's placed on your life. And so how many of you have walked out of a church before, and maybe in this matter you're like, I'm about to get up and leave already. <laughs> but, I mean, honestly, how many of us have walked out the doors of the church building and we're like, I don't like what he said. And what the man was simply doing was being faithful to the word. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I can in my power to approach it gracefully. But at the same time, the text says what it says. And it starts out and it says, ladies, I know you struggle with it. And, and men, just know this, that anytime you're reading a text, you need to read all of the text. Okay? And so don't just pick one verse. Okay? And, and like as we kind of walk through this, okay, we're going to fly through it. 
I, I don't want any time and point like right here when we first get going that you husbands nudge your wives, okay? Because it's going to just reverse on you in just a minute, okay? And so probably the easiest thing for your relationship and your marriage is simply to go, God, help me not to make any facial expressions. Help me not to squirm in my seat. Lord, just may I be attentive to your word, and God will lay everything else where it rests. And so, like, that's just my advice. You take it as you want. But it says, wives, hupotasso, or subject, submit to your husbands as fitting to the Lord. Now, the word hupotasso here is a, a word that it, it would basically convey a military term. Basically, in the military, we have no problem that there is rank and there's order. Matter of fact, we see that in the Bible. And it's the same thing that you would see as a civil leader, somebody that you would respect. Matter of fact, I, I had a, a young man that came uh, through our student ministry. He actually is in law enforcement here in our community now. And he was in our student ministry. I used to wrestle with him. I used to uh, put him in headlocks and all of these things. I even coached him at one point. I mean, I can remember wrestling with him. And it's very difficult for me that when we're in the community, I don't jab at him or go, hey, I'm going to take this dude down. The problem is, is that now he has authority over my life. And I'm thinking, if I put him in a headlock, I'm like, is he going to arrest me? Like, is he going to, like, tase me? I mean, you know, I mean... But it's a, it's a really serious thing that I've subjected myself to. And although I have a relationship with him outside of the context of his authority in our community, I realize that there's a proper time and a place in which I should hold grounds to that particular relationship. And so in my relationship, when I see him out in the public, I don't razz him, I don't make fun of him, I don't give him a hard time like I used to. I come up under his authority and I have to do that purposely. Now, is it difficult for me? Yes, because I really do. I'm like, I want to wrestle him to the ground. I'm like, oh, you haven't had a good wrestling match in years. But in that moment, I subject myself to his authority because he really does have authority over me in his present situation. And so here it says, wives, hupotasso, or subject yourself purposely to your husband. And you go, well, why? Well, here's the bottom line. It's God's design. It's not something new, it's God's design. God has done the same thing, not only in marriage, but also in his relationship called the Trinity. You have the Father, you have the Son, and you have the Holy Spirit. And when you look at this, I want you to see that there's authority in those relationships. The Father is the master architect. The Son submits to the Father. He lays his life down. The Holy Spirit is the suitable helper that comes and is our guide and our source of authority once Jesus said, it's best that I go away. And so there's order and authority, but there's also diversity, isn't there? There's a particular set of gifts the Son has and that he displays. There's a particular set of gifts that the Holy Spirit has and he displays. And there's this particular set of gifts that the Father has and he displays. And so when it... When it says, wives, submit to your husband, you know it's God's design, but it doesn't keep you from displaying who God's called you to be, the gifts that he's given you, the authority that he's placed in your life and in your home in so many different ways. But you need to know that it is something that we subject ourselves to, ladies, you, and you are. You, you literally, the day that you went to the altar, you might not have known it, but when you said your vows and you said the I do's, the biblical idea here is that you would come up under the wisdom, and you're like, I didn't know my husband had wisdom. <laughs> the subjection of your husband, and in some cases, that's where your marriage has already gone wrong. 
is because you have a difficult time subjecting yourself to someone who you think doesn't deserve it. But the bottom line is, is that you don't subject yourself to your husband because he's a good husband. You don't subject yourself because he's fair and just and he treats you the way. You subject yourself because it's fitting to the Lord. That's what the text says. And so you honor your husband because you want to honor God. And so it's God's design, and it's the standard that's found in creation. Like, I did not create Adam and Eve. I didn't come up with this plan. Right? Did you? No. Like, and so Genesis 2, after everything's been created, God creates man, breathes into his nostrils. He has life. He looks around. He sees everything's been created. Everything that has been made has been made, and it's all good. And he goes, and yet, my buddy Adam doesn't have a helpmate. And so what does he do? He takes him, puts him into a deep sleep, a trance, and he fashions out of him a woman. And then you go, well, what, how in the world did he get the name woman? I don't know. Like, how did Adam get giraffe? I'm assuming that when he came out of the sleep, he's like, whoa, man, you know, or something like, I don't know. I mean, it's, but the bottom line is, is that it's the standard found in creation. And, and so like, the challenge is that you and I understand that we didn't come up with this plan. I didn't come up with it. It's God's design. It's the plan that's been set in motion from the beginning. It Also, it honors God. I mean, isn't that what it says? It's fitting to the Lord. And so that's our goal. It's fitting to the Lord. And so you go, okay, if, if, ladies, if, if you're going to honor your husband, why do you do it? Well, there it is. It's God's design. It's the standard found in creation. It honors God, but it also gives you an opportunity to esteem your spouse, your husband. You may go, what do you mean here? I don't know if you realize it, but the greatest compliment that anyone can ever give to a husband is to compliment his wife. The greatest one ever. And for like, literally for several years, I took great offense to it because everybody would come up to me and they're like, oh, Brandon, you have such a lovely wife and she is so sweet. And like, for, I'm like, well, what about me? Like, you don't think she has a good husband? <laughs> I'm like, but everybody compliments on that. Everybody says the same thing. And like, I've heard it a time and time and time again from my parents and from other people in our church and churches we've served in. Like, Brandon, you are so lucky. You are so lucky. And I'm like... She is too, peeps. I mean, she is too, okay? I'm a good husband. And for years, like, I, I literally was like, what are you trying to say? Like, you, and, and so, like, I had this, like, persona that, like, oh, I married this wonderful lady, and then here I am the doofus that, you know, just kind of is in the relationship, you know? But what I realized, and really the Lord spoken to me, even just within this week, it's like, Brandon, quit having a complex, and here's why. That is the greatest gift someone can give to me is to esteem me through my wife. And you go, why? Well, here's the bottom line. Within every single one of us guys, there is a warrior or superhero. I just want you to know that. Ladies, you need to know that. There is a warrior and a superhero within every man. Now, you don't see that in every man because not every man gets to fulfill his dreams anymore. Why? Because some men got married to a woman who is a dream crusher. Let's just, I mean, truly, you're a dream crusher. <laughs> and you go, well, what do you mean by that? And listen, I want you to just hear this. I want you to leverage this and pay very close attention to this. Right now, my boys are fascinated with superheroes. Like, they love it. And that is so out of my realm. Like, 
Superhero to me meant that you, you kicked the winning field goal when I was growing up and that you caught the winning catch. And I remember as boys reenacting that. And my kids, they're not worried about kicking the field goal or catching the winning touchdown. But I'll tell you what they are about. They are about saving people from the villain. And Brady runs around, and Caleb runs around, and now even Blakely is putting on all their little outfits. And so they've got sister on the team. But what I've seen is, is that they want to be the person who wins. They want to be the person who overcomes the enemy and darkness, and they want to be literally the superhero of the story. Matter of fact, one of the greatest meltdowns we have on a weekly basis in our house is when Brady, our oldest, he's five, is trying to convince Caleb, three, to be the villain. And he breaks down. He's like, I don't want to be the villain. I don't want to be the villain. And literally, it's just this fight in our house. And Brady's like, just be the villain, dude. He just wants to slam him on the ground. You know what I mean? (laughs) And he wants to put his foot on him, and he wants to flex. And Caleb's like, I want no part of that. I want to be on the winning team. And as I've watched that come out, here's what I've realized is that in this moment in their life, they believe that they can be the hero. They believe that they could be the warrior, and there's something intrinsically built in them that ladies you don't understand in men, that they want to be built up and they want to be esteemed. They want to know that they've done a really good job. And and you look at this, and, and you see this whole idea of God's design. It's not just found in Colossians 3, it's found in Ephesians 5. 22 through 24, when it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives, you should submit to your husbands and everything. It's the same idea in 1 Peter 3, wives submit to your husbands. Have you ever thought about why is it that every time that Paul or Peter or anyone in the Scripture writes about this, he always addresses the wife first? And you go, well, it's because they don't get an order. No, no, actually, I think that the wife holds more power in the relationship than you believe. What do I mean by that? Here's what I'm saying, and I want you to put this up on screen. You can follow him privately in your home, meaning you can allow him to lead and lead well. And the way that you support him in your home, the way you speak about him with your kids is a really important thing, and here's why. A man will only lead where his wife has given him permission or power to lead. What does that mean? It means that if I line up for the field goal, my wife can convince me before I ever go to kick it that I'm going to miss it. Listen to that. Before I ever line up to kick the game-winning field goal, my wife can convince me that I'm going to miss it. And so, ladies, as you submit to your husbands, you hold all the keys and all the power in your hands. You can either display him and build him up as the man and the warrior that he needs to be to follow God wholeheartedly, or you can call him the nerd, the loser, the alcoholic, the deadbeat dad, and you'll get exactly out of him what you have put in him. Because he will not lead where his wife will not give him permission to lead. Matter of fact, let me just kind of speak in just my own life. My wife in our home 
could tear me down and tell me how bad of a dad I am and how I don't change enough diapers and how I don't do enough dishes and how I don't clean house up to her standards, which she doesn't, but she could. And if she did that, she would not only render me ineffective in our home, but she would render me ineffective as I pastor and lead our church. She has that much power in our home. Why? Because if she submits and comes up under the authority that's God's design, then she what? Produces a healthy relationship within our home. If she doesn't, then not only is it out of order, not only is it chaotic, but she also has leveraged her power in a way that's not beneficial to her or to other people. And so, ladies, you have a lot of voice and influence, and God's designed it that way. And you and I oftentimes look at this, or you've heard it preached in a negative context, and so you think, oh, submit, that means he's just going to rule over me, and that he's going to dictate to me. No, actually, we'll get to that in a minute. That's not what it means here. It just means that here's a God's design, and you have an opportunity to leverage how you love and lead and what praise and edify your husband and you have to do it privately and then not only that you you follow him what privately but you praise him publicly one of the greatest detriments that i've seen in our church and in other churches but even here is how many times a wife will tear her husband down in front of other people and it's one of the most dangerous things there is and here's why if you will do that in public how do you treat him in private it's the old adage that if you'll, if you'll make a mockery of him and you'll tear him down or you'll make jabs in front of other people, then, hey, it's a dangerous thing. And it means to go, it just shows that there is no what? There is no support in private. Because what you will do in public is a, just a mere reflection of what's happening behind closed doors. And you may could try to convince me otherwise, but the bottom line is, wives, let's just... Something applicable for you. Instead of tearing your husband down, why not pray for him? Why not commit to bring out the superhero in your husband? And you go, well, there's not a superhero in my husband. Yes, there is. There is. He may not realize it anymore because of how much he's gone through. And it may not even be revolving around you. It could be his childhood. It could be other circumstances in his life. But the bottom line is, when he was five years old, he was running around in his underwear, and he thought that he had conquered the world. And it's true. But by the time you're seven or nine or 11 or 13... Either men have influenced him in his life and he's not found acceptance or worth or value or he was rejected by his peers or a dad. There's something there at the core that has to be found and discovered. But ladies, you have great power over your husbands. And let me just kind of say one other thing and then we're going to move on and we're going to talk more to husbands. If you are here, you need to be very careful as a lady not to entertain those conversations about another lady's husband. You need to be very careful that when there's gossip and you're sitting around at IHOP and you're talking at 2 in the morning, you're having coffee because your husband's not present in your life and you're bashing him and you're like, I just wish I could get out of this deal, blah, blah, blah. You need to be very careful, very careful about how much of that conversation you entertain. Why? 
Because marriage is not your design. It's God's. And when he says, and let not man separate, it's a very treacherous and serious thing for us to simply laud around and talk about other people's spouses in a way in which we say, you know what, I think you could shop around and do a little bit better. Just be careful. Be very careful. And even as a pastor, I have to be very careful because I know that oftentimes, ladies, as husbands, we're not as present and we don't lead as well as we should. And so I know that. Matter of fact, men, let's talk about it. Because here's what it says, this simple verse in 19. Husbands love. And the word there is an agapeo, or the word we get is agape love, unconditional love. Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. It's the same idea that you get in Ephesians 5. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. Then it goes on, it says, But husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands, listen to this, husbands, you ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their own body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. One of the greatest challenges for us as husbands is to quit what putting our appetite and our sexual desires in front of our wives' needs. Yes, that's a real issue for us. Like, we come into the house, but hey, baby, what's for dinner, you know? You got a glass of tea? Oh, it's not sweet? Like you're using that Splenda stuff again? Yeah. And just right off the bat, I thought we were having gravy tonight. Why aren't we having gravy? Why does the house look like what? I mean, it looks like a disaster in here. And just within a few moments, our words have already decimated and destroyed our wives in one simple day. In one simple set of two minutes of phrases. And I'm guilty of it. If I'm not careful, I look at my needs, I look at what I think should have been done that day, and I have these things called expectations. The problem with my expectations is that they're mostly unrealistic. And so what does it look like for us as husbands? Men, what's it look like? Well, I'll tell you, if, if Christ is our example, and it says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them, and we see Christ as the example, then the very first thing is lower yourself so that you can exalt your wife. For a change, what would it look like if you quit being the very one whose needs had to be met first? What if you decided that this week, just this week, you are not going to serve yourself. You're not going to gratify the desires of your own nature. But you're going to meet her needs. And you're going to speak and you're going to, secondly, cherish her and keep her. You're going to care for her. You're going to nurture her. What would it look like if you were intentional in that? That you would begin to ask the same questions that you used to ask. Like used to, you know, like when you were holding hands and you were sipping a milkshake, you know, like you remember those days? And it's like you stared and gazed at each other's eyes and you talked about everything under the straw, I mean, under the sun. And yeah, like you kept a straw because it was a milkshake you shared together, you know? And it's like, and you're like, what in the world are we doing here? But there was this moment that you, like, you were so infatuated, in some cases beginning to fall in love with one another, and you asked questions, and you talked till all hours of the night. 
and there was this communication. And then we get married and we have kids and we get jobs and we get busy and we have lives and we have business and we have yards to mow and dishes to clean and diapers to change and all these things that just begin to evade in our life. And what I notice is, is that we stop caring for the very people that God's put in our lives. And so, men, listen to this. If your wife has the power to help you lead and she can leverage you to be the man that God's called you to be, why would you not build up your greatest assistant? Why would you not leverage the woman in your life that's, God, that's God's designed to be your helpmate? And so like, it just makes sense to me that I try to take care of my administrative assistant, okay? Like I, I, when I realize that, that Jennifer's tired, I go, hey, you know what? Why don't you take a day off? Take half a day. And she's like, well, that doesn't happen very often. But it does every now and then. I'll go, hey, just take the day off. Go. You need to go. Go do your thing. And I'm always trying to look for the people around me. How can I be an encouragement? And am I always good at it? No, I'm not. But if my wife is the greatest influence in my life to leverage and help me lead as a husband and as a pastor, why would I not build her up for the sake of the kingdom of God? Because it's reciprocated. Does that make sense? Matter of fact, I, I think Gary Chapman kind of shows you this idea as he talks about speaking your partner's language, your love language. And so there's several different love languages. Let me just list them for you. Um, there's quality time. Um, go ahead and I can't remember the order that I put them in. So there's quality time. There's acts of service. There's words of affirmation. There's gifts. And then the last one's physical touch. Now, men... I don't know about you, but we naturally gravitate to one thing, and it's called physical touch. It's like, hey, baby, come here, you know? And outside of that, we don't really think much more than that. Like, that's how narrow-minded we are. And you, you ladies are here, you're like, well, why in the world is that? Well, here's why. This is my own opinion. We were created out of dirt. Like, what do you, like, you expect us to be emotional and have feelings and have these long conversations? Like, honestly... Dirt. Like, I mean, you should, you should be impressed that we can count to 10. You were fashioned. And so as men, we know that our wives are fashioned and that they're created differently than we ever were. I'll tell you, just, I'll just go ahead and say on record, the older we get, the less our wives probably care about gifts. There may be one of your wives that you're like, no, I'm pretty sure that if I gave her $500, she would be like, praise God, I'm out. And she would be gone for a few days shopping. That may be your wife. My wife, she needs me, quality time. She needs my words of affirmation. She needs to hear that as she has had our three children, that she is still beautiful. And that she is so precious to me and our family. She needs to hear that on days when it's rocky and, and our kids are squabbling and fighting. And, and she's like, I feel like our house is going to the pits. Then she needs to hear that, no, you're a great mom. And you are patient and you're kind. And you are doing an awesome job. And she needs that time and time and time again. And oftentimes she'll call me at the office. And it'll be a call right in the middle of a meeting. And I, I try to always take my wife's call. And here's why. Because it could be as simple as, Brandon, I just, like, she's taking a time out, which means she's locked herself in the bathroom. <laughs> she's like, I just need an adult voice, you know. And, and she's like, I just need a reminder that our, our house. And I'm like, here's a greatest reminder, Kelly. Our kids are sinners, okay? <laughs> They need Jesus Christ. Like, 
just keep pouring it on them, you know. And then, but the reality is she just needs to be built up. Like she just needs to hear that she matters. Why? Because she does. And God's gave her influence and she, is, she has the power over her home. She leverages that and she also esteems me when she does her job really, really, really well. And so that's huge. Um, speak her language. What's that look like? Okay, men, I'll, I'll just tell you, like in the context of our home, um, we're not super crazy or anything, but we put our kids to bed and we have coffee almost every night. Like, and so like if it's a 20-minute conversation, if it's 30 minutes, then we... We do that. And when we're tired of talking to each other, like we've talked and talked and talked, well, we, we, we pull, typically we pull out like a game of cards or something, okay? So you're like, hmm, I wonder. Yeah, we do that too, okay? But <laughs> cards, like we, we just enjoy fellowship together. And it's something, I, I don't do it when our marriage is on the rocks or I feel a crisis or I think my wife needs me. No, my wife needs me every day. Your wife needs you to be present every day. Not when you feel like it. Not when you've not had a long day at work. Every day. Every day. Your wife needs you. Your kids need you. Matter of fact, look what it does. And I don't know how even much time I've got, but we're going to keep moving. It means that you need to leverage that. Matter of fact, here's a great quote by Gary Thomas. It says, we have to stop asking of marriage what God never designed it to give. Perfect happiness. Conflict-free living and idolatrous obsession. That's not, okay, this is not, uh, what's that goofy show, The Bachelor or Bachelorette, yeah, which we idolize and then they all break up three weeks later. It's crazy, okay? But instead, we can appreciate what God designed marriage to provide, partnership, spiritual intimacy, and the ability to pursue God together. That's the goal, okay? It's not perfect happiness. Uh, oftentimes, I think people come in and they're like, my, my marriage is falling apart and They've had arguments, and they can't get their budget on point. And they go, we can't get aligned here. And I'm like, well, do you have a budget? Well, no, not really. Well, there you go. Let's start with a plan. And so you go, well, what is the plan? Like, what do we do if our marriage, we feel like it's, it's kind of eroding, or, or maybe we just need to be more intentional. Can I just give you a quick, quick little synopsis real quick? One, apologize to your spouse. If you've missed it in the area of a husband or wife, apologize. Pretty simple, actually. Will you have to lay your side of pride, your, uh, side your pride? Absolutely. Is that the hardest thing to do? Absolutely. For a man, it's the hardest thing for me to do to go to Kelly and say, I missed it here. I missed it. And I have to do that often. The second thing is apologize to your children. Ladies, if you have not built your husband up and esteemed him to be the dad that God's created him to be in your home, then you need to apologize to your children after you apologize to him. Did you hear that? Are you with me? Just checking. Yes? Okay, just want to like, I just want to know, like, my time, is it time to wrap up? Okay. <laughs> Communicate effectively. Ask the right questions. There used to be a time where you asked the right questions. You wanted to know, how many kids do you want? How are we going to discipline? Are, are we going to put them in timeout? Or are we going to be a little bit more for whipping them with a stick or something, you know? You're like, <laughs> but you used to talk about that. You need to talk now. Why? Because you've got to begin new habits. You've got to know what your plan is and begin new habits. And oftentimes our thought is, well, the grass is always greener on the other side. No, 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 no. The grass is greener when you water it. It's true, okay? The grass is greener where you water it. And if you're not watering your marriage, then guess what? There's another one that looks better. 
And you just need to know that. And then the last one is just reevaluate often. Like, don't, don't go two months and go, oh, man's really good. Now I can just kind of slip back into my old ways. No, that's pointless. You ought to always be building and thriving. Is our marriage perfect? Absolutely not. But I'll tell you, it's healthy. Why is it healthy? Because my wife, she submits to me as the leader of our home, not because I'm a perfect dad, not because I'm a great husband, but because she loves the Lord. And I treat her as if Christ treated me. And so let me just ask you men this. Has Jesus Christ ever treated you harshly or in a way that did not build you up and make you a better person? The answer is no. And so if Christ is our example, then lift your wife up as you lower yourself. Children, okay? Any kids in here? Listen up. This is good stuff. (laughs) Parents, you kind of already had it. You're like, okay, you can sit back and enjoy. Just for one verse, okay? You get just like a a timeout. It says, children, obey your parents in everything. In what? Like your parents, did you catch that? Like praise God. God, Paul, like you did not miss anything here. The Spirit was obviously, obviously speaking. It said, obey your parents in everything. So like, should they obey when you say, please wash the dishes? Yes. Can I get an amen? Yes. Amen. Should they like, when you go, hey, can you please just take out the two, two bags of trash? What? Yeah, go. <laughs> well, when, when, when am I going to get paid? Like when you, last time I checked, you don't pay any rent. Last time I checked, we didn't split the grocery bill. So you can take out the trash. Why? Because you live in my home. Isn't that awesome? (sighs) And you go, well, why should I listen to my parents? I mean, they don't really know anything. And I get it. You got a dad that's made out of dirt, okay? I get it. (laughs) But boys, so were you, okay? And ladies, I know you're like, my dad doesn't know anything. Well, I think you'd be surprised. I think you'd be surprised. But even if your dad doesn't know anything, why do we obey our parents? Because the Lord commands it. In Exodus 20, 12, a part of the Ten Commandments, the first command that God ever gave that's tied to a promise is this. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord God is giving you. You want a long life, you want a productive life, honor your mom and your dad. You go, that doesn't seem too hard. No, it actually doesn't. And I'm like, that's pretty cool that God would say it's so important that if you want a healthy, productive, successful life, then you start right there at the home by honoring the people that God's placed over you in authority. And the thing is, is this idea of authority is not something new. In our culture right now, and everything we see, videos coming out, YouTube sensations, everything in our culture is saying, quit submitting to their authority. They're corrupt, and they don't know anything. Just do your own thing. But the bottom line is, we can't, as Christians, do that. We cannot simply say they're corrupt, and are there some corrupt people in authority? Absolutely. But we honor the people that God's placed in our authority because what? It honors God. And there are some cases in which they may ask you to do something just as Daniel was asked to bow down before the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar that he had to refuse, right? Because it didn't outline and it didn't abide in the presence of what God had put in his word. But other than that, there are some civil things and some other things that we can abide by. And hey, children, you do the same. Now, you go, why? Because it's tied to a promise. Yes, but the other one is because of Proverbs 30, 17. It just says this. I mean, take it for what it's worth. Parents, if you need to. Um, I know a set of parents that goes to our church that they put this on their kid's door. And uh, it seemed to work, okay? And it just says, 
the eye that mocks a father, that scorns an aged mother, will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and will be eaten by the vultures. And so, like, if you need to remind your kids, you just happen to put Proverbs 30, 17. And I, I don't know. It could be effective. I just think it could be an encouragement to you. And so, use it. It's in there. Use it to your advantage, okay? But in seriousness, back in the day, what they would do is they would take corrupt men and they would hang them out in the city and the birds would literally come and they would pluck their eyeballs out and the idea here is this is that that was a disgrace to be hung in the city and it's a disgrace to mom and pops when kids will not obey as fitting to the Lord Proverbs 10.1 is a great thing uh, Proverbs 13.1, 15.20, says a wise man makes a father glad but a foolish son is grief to his mother 13.1 says, a wise son accepts his father's discipline, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. Proverbs 15.20, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. Proverbs 17.25, a foolish son is grief to his father and bitterness to those who bore him. So you just need to know, parents, and teach your kids to obey you as fitting to the Lord as well. And then lastly, 21, fathers do not embitter. The word here literally is to stir up. Your children, or they will become discouraged, or the idea is, or you'll deflate them, you'll exasperate them, is what maybe your version says. And so, can I just talk to you real quickly about parenting? What this means is this parents, you have the opportunity to really build up the superhero in your son or your daughter, or you have a chance to take it out of your son or daughter before they ever get married. Wouldn't it be awesome that if our sons, men, were going into their marriage relationship at 22 or 25 or 27, and they are all that God wants them to be, and they're hitting on all cylinders because we've trained them up in the way they should go? Instead of having a man marry a daughter because he's trying to do anything to gain your approval— Men, wouldn't it be awesome that instead of your daughter going out at 13 or 15 and having her first kiss and trying to find all the affection in that boy that she could never find in you, wouldn't it be awesome to build her up and not embitter her in her life so that she's hitting on all cylinders? Yes? The thing is, is this, is that in our culture, in our time, we have more and more kids leaving the house because they are not being trained up in the way that they should go. And so uh, I'm going to take a two-second timeout, and I'm about out of time, so I'm going to run through these next just list here in a second. One of the things at Stone Point that we've realized that we have failed you in in some ways is helping you be the parents that God's called you to be. And so, like, that's an area that right now we're evaluating and we're working on, and we're actually developing a plan to help even better equip the parents. And here's why. Parents, we cannot equip your, your kids here at our church. Like, we don't have them long enough, but we can equip you, and we've got to do a better job. And so you just need to know there are some resources and tools available, and we're going to begin really unveiling those and rolling those out this fall and even as we get into the new year in 2016 because we want you to have all the tools and the resources available to help you become successful parents, okay? Why is that important? Because the ages of 4 and 14 are the most vital and crucial years of your kid's life, Matter of fact, statistics say that 85% of people who know, know Christ will come to know them by age 14. And so if they don't come to know Christ at age 14, the statistics are off the chart 
in the negative sense, that they will never come to know Christ, that they'll walk away from the church, and they'll see no relevance in the church. And so it's very crucial that we as parents do not embitter our children. And so how do we embitter our children? Here's the bottom line. We embitter them because of the way that we treat them. We either take the wind out of their sails or we build them up. And so how do we help? Like, here's seven things real quick, and you can take a Snapchat or a picture of this. You can put it on Instagram, whatever you want to do. Let your kids be kids. Got me? Let your kids be kids. Like, it baffles me. Well, man, Brandon, your kids are so crazy and they're wild. I'm like, they're five, three, and two. That's what they're built to do, okay? They're saving the world and they have no time to stop for you. You got me? And I don't want them to. I don't want them to. I don't want my kids sitting on the couch. I don't want them calm and lazy. I want them to run, and I want them to have a great time. And listen to me. Don't you dare stop them as they run through this building either. Don't you dare do it at the expense of saying, well, you're not honoring God. I don't care how loud our kids get. I don't care how much they run in here, and here's why. And I'm not speaking of just mine. I'm giving your kids permission too. Let them be kids. Teach them to know that God has inspired and given them great life and vibrance for a reason. And oftentimes we deflate our kids by the time they're 8, 9, 10 years old because we are conforming them to the patterns of this world. And it's the very thing that God says do not conform to. And so let them be kids. Two, make an oath to not discipline out of anger. I think one of the greatest failures as parents, and for me particularly, is that I oftentimes react I react, and when I react, like, it just goes bad in a hurry, you know what I mean? My voice escalates, I get a little bit more in their face, and the thing is is that your kids are different, and some of your kids are like, well, they respond to it better. I don't, maybe they do, but the question is, is when has Jesus ever yelled at you? And so instead of looking, well, my, my son, man, he just gets better when he's in your face, maybe that's the wrong approach. And so what it'll look like to Hey, not yell, shout, outrage, cuss them. It's not acceptable. And so you got to come up with a, a plan. I, I saw a dad, literally in our foyer, um, his son said something uh, one time, and he kind of did something. And the dad, literally, I don't think he saw anybody else watching, but I saw it. He literally just slapped his kid right upside the head. And I started evaluating that, and I thought, well, one, it models exactly what you're doing in ho- at home. Number two, you just humiliated your son in the presence of many people, and at least me, because I saw it. And number three, I had no respect for him as a man or a husband or a father at that point anymore. And the reason why is because I will never, ever slap my kid upside the head for any reason. And I certainly won't do it in the presence of anybody because I'm not going to do it, what, privately. But just be careful. Don't discipline out of anger. So if you're not going to discipline out of anger, what does that mean? You're going to have to have a healthy plan for discipline. You got me? The best way James Dobson said it is this, is like, it's kind of like a referee. You know, like a referee on a football field, there's already penalties to be enforced. And so when a player jumps offside, they blow the whistle and they throw a flag. They don't go up to the player and start humiliating and demeaning him and saying, you're stupid and you jumped offside. What they do is they just flow, they blow a whistle, throw a flag, and guess what? They mark it off and everybody goes back to the huddle and we're going to do this thing again. And so as parents, if we already have a plan in place, you do have to blow the whistle and you do have to throw the flag, but instead of humiliating them, they know what the consequence is. They know we're going to get. You've already outlined the plan. And so guess what? It's not going to be any new news when they do something that you've asked them not to do. We're going to discipline them and then we're going to give them the power to go back to the huddle and start the play over. And we're going to give them a chance to be successful and move the ball down the field because we want them to score, don't we? 
Sometimes we don't score because we keep jumping off sides. And I don't know about you, but that seems to be a lot of times at my house. We jump off sides a lot at our house. And we blow the whistle a lot and we throw a lot of flags. But the bottom line is, is my job is to empower them to get down the field and ultimately score and catch that game-winning touchdown, right? What a great illustration. Thank you, James Dobson. Don't undermine who God's called them to be. Don't call your son an idiot. Don't call your daughter uh, names that are choice words because that's what she's practicing. Don't, don't cuss them. Don't call them a spoiled brat. Don't call them stupid. Build them up. Why? Because Psalm 139 says they're fearfully and wonderfully made. That's God's design. That's not mine. That's his. And so God did that. Let's, let's use that. Number five, don't place demands on your kids that you're not willing to keep. Husbands, quit telling your kids that they shouldn't hit each other when they see you hit mom. Quit telling your kids to quit yelling at each other when you yell and humiliate mom. Quit telling your kids we shouldn't cuss at people when you cuss all the time at home. I think that's enough to be said there. Just don't place demands on your kids that you're not willing to, to lead and keep. Don't teach your kids to perform in order to be accepted. There's some men in here, the greatest problem in your life right now, the reason that you no longer can be the man that God's called you to be is because you are still trying to find approval and acceptance to your father. And you played football, not because you liked it, but because he liked it. You, you did race cars, not because you liked them, but because you thought that would make your, better, your relationship better with your dad. And you look and you go, wow, it didn't. And actually, it, it hurt. And so let your kids be who they are and don't place unreasonable demands. And last one, don't compare your child to other children, to their friends, or for that matter, their brother. And so I would never look to Brady and say, I wish you were like Caleb. The bottom line is I don't want him to be like Caleb. I want him to be who God's called him to be. And they're unique and they're different, but they're special. And God has an incredible plan for their life. Is this incredibly practical? I think so. And so my prayer is that it will be a blessing to you. If you need these notes, I'll put them up online for you. Church, we love you. And the bottom line is this. I think if we're all honest, we can do a better job at being husbands, wives, children, and what? parents. And so let me just leave you with this quote from James Dobson that I think is so good. Sometimes we are so concerned about giving our children what we never had growing up that we neglect to give them what we did have growing up. And so I think so many times that's the excuse as parents. Well, I never had this. I want to provide what I never had. And the bottom line is, is let's just give them the basics of God's word and let's allow that to be enough. Okay. Amen? Let me pray for you, and I'm sorry I kept you so late. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I pray, God, that you would leverage our time together, that your word would resonate on our hearts and our lives, that you would speak. Give us, as men, the courage to lead in our homes. As women in here, I pray that we uh, would build up and encourage our husbands to be the men and the fathers that you want them to be, knowing uh, that they'll only lead where we give them permission to lead. And so if we tear them down constantly, we tell them how lousy and how lazy they are, that's exactly what we're going to get. But Father, I pray that you would call our husbands out of that and Lord, that you would leverage them to lead and love and serve and to give themselves up for their wives just as you gave yourself up for us as the greatest servant the world's ever seen in dying on the cross for us as sinners. Uh, Father, help us, God, to be the children that you want us to be and help us to be the parents that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.